Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Projected Opinions Podcast, the best movie podcast and under the time it takes to commute to work. My name is Matt Noble. And I'm Nathan Payne. And today we're going to be reviewing the film Operation Finale. You have no interest in what I have to say. Unless it confirms what you think you already know. My job was simple. Save the country I love from being destroyed. Is your job any different? And that's the trailer from Operation Finale. Nathan, in a few minutes, what did you think? Uh, Spoiler free. So, uh, this movie's been on my radar for a little bit just because Oscar Isaac's now kind of uh, hit the A-list uh, since Star Wars and everybody's kind of paying attention to him and also Ben Kingsley's in it and I haven't seen him in a movie in a while so I was intrigued um, and also I do like a good war film and I like spy espionage thrillers um, so it had all of the things that I enjoy in movies and I was I was looking forward to it um, so yeah and then it came out and it's been out for a few weeks and it's got some not so great middling kind of reviews and so i had to judge it for myself and i thought a lot of the reviews probably hit it too harshly i think um i enjoyed it i don't think i'm gonna see it at the oscars but i don't think it was a bad film i don't think there was too many problems with it i i enjoyed the ride it was a good story it's a story that i think definitely needs to be told um so yeah i mean if i had to like score it it'd be like seven seven out of ten maybe okay you uh so i did not know about this until you told me about it a couple weeks ago and i was um i mean interested it sounded like a cool concept i did not watch the trailer before i jumped in it was just you said, let's go see this thing, and then we ended up seeing it. Um, Don't say I, that so negatively, Matt. I, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm just... It, I like going into films blind. I, I appreciate it more and more. I try to go in s- without being spoiled, if you will, from trailers and marketing campaigns that often reveal more about the plot and characters than I would want to know before going in. Um so I, I actually really, I liked it. It wasn't uh, as dark as I thought it was going to be. Uh, I definitely was anticipating something along the lines of like Munich. Uh, if you yeah, remember. this is not this is that not level. That. Yeah, this is far lighter. Um, I don't know if that's Oscar Isaac. I think I think the script just felt lighter. Um, so I, I, was, I was along for the ride the whole time. Again, I don't think it's going to win any awards, but I definitely... Uh, I'm glad I saw it. Fair enough. That, Without spoiling anything, yeah. you want to kind of unpack a little bit? Sure. Um, so I thought the cast was pretty great. Uh, over, overall, there was a lot of moving pieces that could have been kind of poorly manufactured, if you will. Uh, I thought Oscar Isaac was once again very good. I forget what it's like to see him in something that he's like actually challenged by. (laughs) Um, Star Wars is just 
Man, he's so so two dimensional. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think about um, man. What's that? Alex in, Garland, Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Yeah, he's also in a little bit of Annihilation. Yeah, with Alex Garland. Yeah, I, Annihilation. Me. Uh, his role in it, at least. I, I thought Ex Machina, he did a great job, and I've seen him in a couple of other things recently. And so, Honestly, me... I think my favorite movie with him is still Inside Lewin Davis. I haven't it's seen a Coen Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of the few Coen Brothers films I have not seen, actually. I really enjoyed it, but I also really enjoy a lot like folky indie kind of mm-hmm. things, and this is all the way up there. It's basically a piece on musical depression. So. Great. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Coen Brothers film. <laughs> Touche. Um, so I, I appreciated the, the characters. I didn't think that we lost our way with side stories. So I thought the writing was tight enough. I thought there were several things that could have been tighter. Uh, it, it felt a little long at two hours. There were, I think I probably turned to you a couple times throughout the film and were like, we're halfway now we're halfway we're halfway now like trying to guess it like mm-hmm. where, where is the uh, the tide turning and it just felt felt a little bloated but nothing so extraneous where i thought well man those five scenes could have just been completely left out right and the characters that were on screen felt like they had things to do for the most part the Mossad team there were so many of them. So many of them. And I was never certain as to their titles and roles. Right. Or like why all of them had to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like a pretty big team several times throughout the film where they were all in the one room and mm-hmm. they were discussing mm-hmm. something. And I was like, I don't know why I should care about what right. people are saying. And I, I think, just going to point something out, like I think if they had established... Um, a hierarchy or actually spent time to tell you what each person was meant to be doing on the team. Mm. I think it would have actually heightened some of the tension later when people start jumping lanes. Yeah. Not really a spoiler. There's personal conflict within the team. (gasps) Um, So I think it would have actually made that all those scenes a bit better if you understood like what people's positions were and what their skill sets were. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I thought that the writing was decent. It's, it's not going to win awards, but I thought it was good. Uh, cinematography, I thought was an attractive film. What well, I saw something recently where I I wanted to just yell. Oh, I was just <laughs> watching an episode of the new Jack Ryan series oh. on Amazon, and in the first episode, I think there's one scene where they violate the 180 rule like five times, and it does not help the scene you know like hey there's so for for those in the audience who don't know what the 180 rule is imagine you so you have two characters in the scene imagine you draw a line between them and so you should always when you're filming your characters be on one side of that so you're not flipping from left and right if you will you are observing your uh your characters from the same side of that line at all times so as to not disorient people. Mm-hmm. It keeps the characters looking at each other in theory. Mm-hmm. And it also means that if they look off screen or anything else, the audience knows generally where in the room they're looking at and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so that show, it was so poorly either edited or directed. I'm not sure which, maybe both. 
um, that I, I just kind of just gave up caring a little bit. There were several scenes in this film where that was brought to my mind because they did the right thing. And I, <laughs> <laughs> which is not high praise, I realized. It's like, oh, you just followed the rules. Congratulations. Right. But I was just like, ah, oh, this is relaxing to watch because you know where you are in the room, like in this space that they've created with the, with the images. You know where you're at between these characters. You know that the characters are talking to each other. You can kind of like see the fake eye line that are, is supposed to be from one character to the other as they're discussing this intense emotional memory. Yeah, it's not it's not groundbreaking, but it is correct. Yeah, it is it's well effective. done. It's effective. Yeah. It mm-hmm. was just I thought it was throughout good filmmaking. I don't remember. Hang on. The cinematographer that did this is Spanish. The last film he did that was notable was uh, Thor Ragnarok. Really? Uh, yeah. Which is a completely different look, by the way. It's not... That film is very bright, very happy, um, very high-key. This movie is very dramatic. Deep shadows. Lots of like shafts of light through windows and haze. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Um, Javier... Yeah, well, I'm not. I'm sorry. IMDb this because I'm not gonna. I can't. I'm not gonna embarrass you myself. You don't speak that Spanish. I don't. <laughs> not well enough for me to put it on the airwaves. But he's very accomplished. He has something like 105 credits as cinematographer or something like that. So he certainly knows what he's doing. Um, and yeah, I did Aguera notice that. Sorobi. That's my pitch. Okay. Javier. Aguera Sorobi. That's what I'm going to say. Okay. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> so he is, he's a member of the American Society of Cinematographers. So at least amongst his peers, he is very well respected. So no surprise there for me. But again, I don't think we're going to be seeing this film at awards season. No, but that's okay. I think it still like exists for a purpose, and um, they kind of point to this several times in the script of we are doing this because of history. Mm-hmm. Like right now, history is being written. Right now, history is being forgotten, and we have to continue to remind people of the things that they would otherwise forget. Uh, and and frankly, it's too bad that something like this film gets overlooked uh, because I think it helps remind people of something that should never have happened. Mm -hmm. And the only way that you prevent things from happening in the future is by remembering. Uh, And that is coming from me as just a a person, but also like a history teacher uh, when I was teaching in high school. It got a personal stake in this. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't forget the things of the past. You will only end up uh, going through the same patterns over and over again, which is evident from surprise history. Mm-hmm. And it's not one of those things where like, I feel sometimes fe- people feel a little bit belittled. They're like, well, yeah, I know this happened in history. Stop bringing it up to me. And it's not necessarily the fact that we believe that you're okay with it. It's more about the fact that if you don't keep paying attention, you'll miss the warning signs and then it'll be too late. And I think uh, I, I always end up remember. I really like Roger Ebert mm-hmm. as far as like the philosophy of film criticism. He was very vocal and made film criticism cool, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And he always talks about how film is a special type of art because it exists to be an empathy machine Mm -hmm. and create connections between you and other people that with with whom you would have no reason to discuss or like connect with and i think this type type of film helps you understand stories from other people that experienced something that was horrifying and the reasoning behind what they were trying to accomplish with what they believe to be justice you know Mm -hmm. so i think that can't be overstated and uh i thought the film accomplished its goals do you want to jump into spoilers we're kind of dancing around yeah we don't there's no need to okay so this is based on a spoilers right now on a true story guys (laughs) so some of us knew like some elements of this plot going in so like i knew the ending i i knew that Mm -hmm. our cast succeeded in their mission i didn't know some of the details that they were going to have in the plot and i haven't fact checked their plot yet i don't like i can't tell you if if the characters are 100 percent truthful a lot of times hollywood will not necessarily deviate from the truth but they'll create composite characters so that they can create a one central character in the narrative which makes sense sometimes um so i i can't really speak to that right now and i have a feeling matt's googling it um but I have a soft spot in my heart for films like this, particularly because um, World War II and the conflicts surrounding that um, was one of my favorite periods to study growing up. Um, I know a lot about it. And so when I saw this film, I was immediately intrigued being a fan of films in the style of Munich um, and Schindler's List and those kinds of films. Um, this was right in my wheelhouse immediately. This film is not as great as those films are, and I don't think it will be, well, it's clearly already not been as critically praised, but I think the kind of story it tells still falls in that genre, and I think it's very necessary. It's well told. There's not really any glaring issues. The performances Mm -hmm. are great, good to great, depending on the characters. I think... um, No no one's winning an Oscar. No one's winning awards, but I never once stood, like, watched it and went, yeah, they didn't sell me. Yeah. Really. Um, It was good to see Ben Kingsley back, and I think his his performance was very good. Probably Um, the best, and I would say the best in the film. I would agree. Um, And so... Again, the the cinematography was not award winning, but it was it was very good. It told the story. It didn't get in the way, like you're mentioning with Jack Ryan. It didn't it didn't take you out, which is the number one hope. Really, is if the cinematographer and all the technical people involved can at least say, "I didn't take the audience out of the story," then they've done a good job. Um, and everybody involved, I think, did. Um, so the one thing about this film that you might be able to call a negative is because of almost the real lack of subplots. Everything really is main plot related. It 
some of them don't seem so at the beginning, but it really does all come together at the end into one main issue. Like we have, we have kind of a romantic subplot between um, Sylvia and um, Malkin. Um, I, Oscar Isaac's character Malkin. No, Sylvia and uh, the son of Adolf. Eichmann. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, wrong characters. Sorry, Klaus. Yes. Klaus Eichmann, um, which seems to be just kind of a a racial tension um, awareness piece at the beginning, and then it transforms very quickly into oh, she's actually the undercover agent, which they don't really explain how she got there or how any of that. It's just like yeah. oh, by the way, we have somebody on the inside, and you eventually figure out that it's probably her. Nobody ever says anything. Mm -hmm. um, the closest that you get is when she shows up at the house, dropped off by people that take pictures. Oh, that's not true. They discuss her being a source back in Jerusalem. Did they mention her name? They mentioned that she's the daughter of, what's his name? Oh, uh, gotcha. I can't remember the character. So, The blind man. Kind of established, but at that point you've already had some scenes between the two of them. So I was uncertain if she was just going to be kind of collateral damage at the beginning to kind of give heart to it. Um, so with all these plots that kind of are really very focused on the main center plot, it gets a little bit predictable. Um, there was one point about 45 minutes into the movie, they start quote unquote, the project, like the heist. Mm -hmm. Um, and Matt, you turned and looked at me and you went, well, that was awful quick. Like, this is building really quickly. We're still like at the middle to beginning of act two. And I was like, either there's about to be a giant pacing problem with this movie or something's going really, really wrong. Um, and it was kind of both. It was kind of both because after that, like, I think they should have had a bit more time spent to develop the character relations like who who people were and what they were supposed to be doing mm -hmm. and a little bit or, less or time sitting in, sitting in the house yeah, yeah. I, um, I think that the house thing was the thing that really bothered me although i realized that's that's where all the interaction between mm -hmm. king kings uh kingsley's uh eichmann and oscar isaac's malkin um that whole like head to head that they keep having again and again and again um is I think the most interesting part of the film, mm -hmm. and yet it really didn't drill into crazy depths. Like there were right. multiple times when I was like, "This, this is, is very surface level." Yeah, it it felt kind of like they're both playing each other just a little bit, and you're like, "I don't know who's playing who, or if they're both playing each other." But like, make something happen here, and and I don't want to force like tell a story that is untrue mm -hmm. but never did i get the sense that oh these were things that definitely happened in real life and they have to stay true to these things mm -hmm. um this it didn't feel like it had like a sense of like destiny like yes real events and it didn't feel like it had the sense of depth that you get out of a lot of performance driven films yeah so they didn't go either way with it and i think that's probably the missed opportunity well is the thing just, is like because this is a huge subject. This is mm -hmm. an entire generation is still dealing with 
this, really. Like, the people that survived this event have never really gotten out of it. It's something that defines that whole period. And you can go so many different ways with how you talk about it and different views on it. Like, there's endless amounts of material that they could have delved into. This is my, my, my big problem. And it's not a huge problem. I, I still like the film. I enjoyed it. There are two storylines happening in this film. Two that we actually only care about. One is the big picture. Does Eichmann get Ex- ec- like extracted from yeah, extracted Argentina. from Argentina to serve an, on trial in Israel? Two, what's going on between Eichmann and Malkin? Mm-hmm. And we end up splitting the difference. Uh, the film, I think, would have been better if we said the most important thing is the climax of interaction between these two men who experience horrors from opposite sides of the trench. I think if you use that as your emotional climax and you have that head-to-head and it keeps rising and falling, rising and falling, every time they go into the room together and he is trying to get Eichmann to sign these papers and Eichmann's trying to get into his head and I think if it uh, the climax is him signing that paper and um, then having that huge unload of uh, emotional trauma onto Malkin from what he might have experienced or his what his sister might have experienced. Mm-hmm. I think that's the peak of the film and the rush to get him out of there serves as a nice epilogue. Mm-hmm. But instead, you have this like really weird, intense scene right before they try to get him mm-hmm. out of the house, and it doesn't it doesn't it, land. You're like, I don't know, like all that happened right there. Like, I get he was really insulting him, mm-hmm. but so to what end? A, he already signed the paper. So right, so Eichmann basically has a really strange character turn where he goes from surface level nice where you kind of feel like he's manipulating to just straight up mean to um oscar isaac's character uh and it has no purpose like so there's there's no real ending to that story like you don't there's no closure and there's no motivation also, I feel like they tried to make the emotional climax when he decides to give up the girl for his, like the world's good. Mm-hmm. And I don't really think that sold at all. Not only did it not sell, we never find out how he gets out of Argentina. Right, which actually interested me. Like how because there was actually three or four of them yeah, that were left in that Argentina. They were still there. And they just kind of somehow They somehow a year later all show up at the trial. And we're also never given an explanation of what happened to the girl, which is not one of those things that's really important. But if you're trying to make that the yeah. emotional climax in the plane when he's like, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, make the plane take off. They have no other choice. Yep. I'll stay. Then we need to know what exactly he lost. Yep. And we don't. We understand that she's probably with another man because she's pregnant. But we yeah. don't even really know. Yeah, we have no clue about so, anything. Uh, they kind of, I think they focused a little bit on the, like they added that bit in that was not really necessary. Yeah. 
I think they could have just made him like altruistic at that point and not worried about trying to give a motivation. Mm-hmm. Or if they just tied his motivation into, I have to see this evil man that's screwing with me yeah. go down. I would have liked to see more of that. I, I keep imagining... What if all those scenes where Oscar Isaac's character and Ben Kingsley's character are interacting, what if they were written by like Aaron Sorkin? And it's just <laughs> these two really intelligent people who despise. Mind dueling. Yeah, mind dueling basically. And it's almost like a Moriarty and Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. kind of an interaction of which like, I need you to do this thing for me and I'm trying to like just – be really, really nice and like win you over to just right. And you're trying paper. to think about how much information you can give to yeah, this other guy without him being able to use it right. against you. And exactly. It's like it should be a chess game in the in the brains of these two people. And I never felt like that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. It just kind of felt. Eh, here's the thing. Here's a conversation that happened between this really evil dude and right. a guy who wants him dead. And and part of it is just the strict difficulty of writing that is insane. And the reason you bring up Aaron Sorkin is because he's one of the very few people that's consistently good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, just watch any movie that he writes. In fact, it, the first movie he ever wrote is one of the most quoted climaxes between two people ever. Yeah. Uh, that you can't handle the truth in right. A Few Good Men. Yeah. Everybody it's, it's knows great. that. Um, and I think part of the part of the reason why that whole second half really of the film kind of feels like it starts to drag is because psychologically when you're in one place like one physical Mm -hmm. place for a long time um you start to get bored so this is why some movies even though they're not very good but if they show you a bunch of different locations and the characters are always doing in different places they feel like they're physically moving the the movie physically moves. So that's how, you know, large action pieces that are two and a half hours long don't seem to drag. But this movie takes place in one small home in which we can see basically three rooms. We get to see the kitchen, mm-hmm. the living room, slash stairway, and the room that, that Eichmann's in. And it doesn't visually change, which means that you have to make it emotionally change. And it doesn't really at all. Not as much as it could have and should have. So it's you have like you have a couple of barriers that they had there to to kind of overcome and they didn't do it as well as they could have. On the whole though, it does tell the story. It the end is accomplished and it's it's, you know, a historical type movie. Like yeah. it tells you the facts. Yeah. It just doesn't make it as dramatically hard-hitting as it could have been. Yeah. I think you're right with your assessment the 7 out of 10. I think it's fair. Maybe six and a half or six. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Maybe though, it's 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 solid. Um, but again, if if you do not like historical, how would you consider this a thriller? Not really. Maybe a drama. Historical dramas. This might be up your alley. Though I will say the art direction was superb. It was. It looked beautiful. Costumes yeah. and setting. Like 60s Argentina. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. Yeah. Kudos. Anyway. All right. Well, that's our review of Operation Finale. Uh, check us out on the, the web and social media. Any closing thoughts? 
no let us know if you want us to see any particular movies award seasons coming up no it is it is it's fall all right thanks so much for listening to the projected opinions podcast and we'll see you next time